This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. At the half hour, Jack Benny and the gang will be by with loads of laughs. Meanwhile, we go to the darker side with another presentation of Lights Out and the very ominous-sounding episode, Coffin in Studio B. So snuggle together on the couch and try not to have hair in the back of your head stand on end when the action starts, and it will start. Lights Out, everybody. This is the witching hour. It is the hour when dogs howl and evil is let loose on the sleeping world. Want to hear about it? Then turn out your lights. Broadcasting Company brings you Lights Out, a revival of the eight best stories in the series which many of our listeners will remember. Willis Cooper is your author, and Albert Cruz, your director. Sit in the dark now and listen to Lights Out. And uh, what will you do if I won't? Something very unpleasant, my dear chap. For example? For example, it is quite possible that I will kill you. <sighs> you amaze me. No, 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 no. I assure you I'm quite serious. It's impossible. Not impossible at all. May I ask just how you propose to uh, end my life, shall I say? I shall cut your throat. Neatly, and as the books have it. With dispatch. <laughs> You've been reading books, then? We're wasting time. What's the answer? The answer is the same as it has always been. You refuse, then? I refuse, yes. Very well. You force me to become a murderer. Cut. Look, uh, I don't want to throw you up on this first reading, but uh, not much is coming through in here. I don't know just how to say it, but uh, it just doesn't gel for some reason or other. Now, let's think about these lines. Oh, let's hold it a minute. What's the matter, George? Who is it, me or Ed? Well, I, I hate to throw you up on this first reading, but, uh, Fritz, I think it's you. Something wrong. It's the, the attack on the part, or maybe you're throwing those lines away without any sincerity. There's no menace in the part, you see what I mean? Well, look, uh, let me come on out. 
Huh? Hammond again, eh, Fritz? Okay, character. Let it alone. I'm having enough trouble. <laughs> Look, he can act. Honest, George. Fella's got a card. All right, uh, let's can the funny stuff, Ed. We got some work to do, and I want you to just pay attention, if you don't mind. All right. Uh, look, Fritz, uh, yeah. how do you feel in this thing? I don't know. It's not, it's, it, it's not right. I don't know what to do, though. Well, you don't sound convincing. You see my point? Yeah. Uh, have you got any ideas on how you might do it? No. Oh, wait a minute. What, what about dialect? I could do a little German. A German? Could... Wait a minute. No, no, no. I don't think I want any German on this thing. I hear too much of that. Uh, uh, some Austrian? No, no. That's, no, no, that's too close to German. I don't know. Uh, how's your French? How's your French? Let's see how your French is. Oh, it's all right. It's all right. No, no, no. Look, I don't want... I don't want to make him too definite. See, he should be a kind of a combination. A lot of menace in there. Quiet, but i got to believe the guy. Make him... Uh, let's see. What's that word? I want him to... Continental. Uh, uh, that's it. Uh, just not, not too much now. Just a word. I, I know. I know. Okay? Let me try it. Yeah. All right. We'll try it now. Uh, from the top, huh? That's right. Okay. And uh, what will you do if I won't? Something very unpleasant, my dear chap. For example? For example, it is quite possible that I will kill you. You amaze me. I assure you, I am quite serious. Okay. Hold it. How's it doing now? How's it sound? Are you asking me or the director? Well, it sounds a lot better than it did before. You'll work into it. Yeah, well, look. Uh, yeah, Fritz, I think that'll do it. Uh, uh, what do you say we put it up on the mic and let's see how it sounds? Uh, take that whole scene over. How is it for age, George? Oh, the age is okay. I want a little bit of age, not too much age. All right, just, just a little about right. Little little knows the way you have it. All right. Oh, rehearsals, rehearsals. Well, it beats digging ditches for a living, I guess. How does it? Oh, uh, so they tell me. Well, anyway, it's cool in here. Thank the Lord for air conditioning. I wish it was 9.30. Okay, characters, now uh, give me that after number five now, will you? And uh, let's hear it again uh, from the top. And uh, what will you do if I won't? Something very unpleasant, my dear chap. For example? For example, it is quite possible. I will kill you. You amaze me. I assure you I am quite serious. Possible? Not impossible at all. May I ask just how you propose to end my life, shall I say? I shall cut your throat. Neatly. And as the books have it, with dispatch. Oh, you've been reading books, then. We are wasting time. What's the answer? The answer is the same as it has always been. You refuse, then? I refuse, yes. I will. You forced me to become a murderer. Look, Fritz, you sound about as much like a murderer as... Oh, I give up. Oh, for the love of Mike, George, what do you want me to do, growl? No, no, I don't want you to growl. But I do want you, if you won't find it too inconvenient, to act just a little bit like a murderer. You know, a, a murderer, a guy that uh, kills people. Yeah. He wants you to make faces, Fritz. Ah, shut up. Wait, uh, I'll come out there again. How you doing, kid? I give up. I don't know what the man wants. Now listen, sweetheart, have you the faintest idea how a guy acts when he's going to kill somebody? Have you? No, but I got a hunch I'm going to know about it in a minute. Oh, well, that'll be swell. Because the way you're doing it now, a guy would think that you're Ed's brother or something. Oh, now listen, get it through your thick skull that we got a show in a few minutes. We're going on the air, radio, remember, you see? You're supposed to be a murderer. I know, but it's going to come a lot easier if you oh, don't you can't take it, huh? Oh, nuts. All right, well, let's try it again. Uh, take it from that line. Um, oh, the, the answer is the same as it has always been, Ed. Go on, Ed. All right. The answer is the same as it has always been. You refuse... Pardon me. You refuse, then. Hey, George. Oh, for... Oh, now what? 
Well, what do you want? There's an old gent out here wants to see you. What's he want? I don't know. Well, tell him to go away. No, no, wait. Uh, who is he? I don't know. How can I keep oh, a character? I don't know. Sometimes oh. I wonder. Oh. Uh, and he says he wants to see Ed, not you. Who is he? Won't give his name. Probably some guy that you owe money to. You should talk. Well, look, tell him... Well, listen, we're right in the middle of a rehearsal. Go ahead and talk to him, Ed. We can smoke a cigarette or play tiddlywinks. Oh. But listen, you tell him to make it snappy. we got a show to get on. All right, all right. Tell him to come in here, Horace. Go right Well, there you are, Mr. Henley. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Why, uh, I don't believe I've ever had... <laughs> don't know me, eh? Well, I know you, Mr. Henley. Mr. Ed. It me, yes, sir. He owes the old guy dough, all right. <laughs> I'm afraid I don't know I, uh, you, I come up to show you my book. I, I figured you'd like to have a look at it now while you have the check, just in case you had any choice. <laughs> Folks don't often have the choice, you know. <sighs> choice? Uh, choice of what? Now, here, let me show you the book. I, I won't be a minute. I don't like to disturb your work, you know, but... It's got to be done, I guess. Now, this one here... Ye gods. Coffin. What? Coffins. Look, it's a catalog of coffins. Caskets. Huh? Yes, that's right. Yes, sir, the neatest line of caskets in the country. And nothing but the best. No, sir. Now, look here. This number, A1436, ain't it? Yes. Uh... All gray silk, solid silver hemp. Say, listen, what is this? Or this model, A5499 in mahogany. Uh, wait a minute, it's... Mr. Uh, what's this all about? Why, I just figured Mr. Henley kind of like to pick yourself out a casket. Well, uh, who are you? So I brought up the book here to show him. I got my tape measure right here in my pocket. Ah, uh, it's a rib, George. Somebody sent him up here. <laughs> oh, yeah? No, no, nobody sent me. I just thought Mr. Henley... Well, uh, look, uh, Mr. Henley's busy. We're rehearsing a radio show here, and we've got just a few more minutes before we go on the air. So if you don't I mind... I know, I know. You're rehearsing lights out. I know all about it. Listen, every Saturday night, I like it. All about ghosts. And corpses and things. Yes, sir. <laughs> oh, well, oh, well that, that's fine, but uh, we've got work to do now. Well, well, I'll get right out of here. Uh, just as soon as Mr. Henley makes up his mind. Now, this A1436 that I will show uh, listen, you... Listen, mister, I don't want to buy a coffin. I've got no use for one. Do you get me? Solid silver handle. George, this guy's screwed. Oh, no, 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 sir. Now, wait. I got some pictures here in colors, if you like something a little fancier. Uh, just a minute, how do I find it? Fritz, yeah. go get Horace and have him get this old gent out of here. I think the old guy's crazy. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, mister, did uh, somebody send you up here to see Ed Henley? Send me? No, sir. I told you. I, I thought it up my own self. Now, this here, age 6782, with the bronze plate on top. How do you like that? Pretty nifty, ain't it? Hmm? Yes, sir. Uh, listen, I've told you I don't want a coffin. I well, have to... you can have it with solid silver plate, if you like that better. If uh, I were you, Ed, I'd get the one with the silver plate. Huh? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'd rather like that one with the silver plate. Mm-hmm, that's the one, all right. A 6782A with solid silver plate. Yes, sir. Well, that's all I wanted to know. Yes, sir. That's what I come up here for. Well, thank you kindly, Mr. Henley. 
I think you'll find it very satisfactory. I'm sure I will. And thank you, sir. I'll be going now. Thank you ever so much. Sorry to interrupt you. Well, uh, uh, goodbye. Goodbye, gentlemen. Thank you very much, Mr. Henry. Well, I wonder what goes with that guy. Whose idea was that? No. It's, uh, it's all right, uh, Fritz. He's gone now. Uh, we don't need you, Horace. Huh? Where'd he go? Well, he just went out that door a minute ago. Didn't you see him? No. Uh, he must have went the other way. He went out that door right there. Oh, that's funny. Uh, we didn't see him. Listen, Horace, was that your idea? Mine? Oh, gosh, no. Hey, I know. It was one of the announcers. Wise cracking guys. Uh, I don't think it was so funny myself. Not at this time of night with nobody else in the whole place. How'd you get rid of him, Ed? <laughs> oh, the old guy was showing his coffin after coffin, and I suggested to Ed that he buy number H, a 6783A. With solid silver plate. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he said, okay, it's grand. Leave it to me to handle the screwy guys. I've had experience enough producing shows around here. Thank oh. you, dear. You birds want me anymore? Uh, no, no, Horace, uh, thanks. Oh, uh, if you see old Joe Coffin Seller again, though, tell him we're not in the market. Now, come on, let's get to work. Yeah, it's about time. Where do we start? Uh, there on uh, page six, line five. The answer is the same and so on, you know. All right. The answer is the same as it has always been. You refuse, then, eh? I refuse, oh, yes. That's the next time true. Very well, then. You force me to become a murderer. No, you force me to become a murderer. You force me to become a murderer. <sighs> Go on. I don't know you know the penalty for murder in this country? <laughs> Put down that knife. You have had your last chance. <laughs> oh. No, don't kill me. I warned don't. you. I warned no, you, but no. you would not. No, no. Cut, 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 cut. Oh, what? Now, listen, uh, we got to plant that knife somehow. Oh, holy smokes, George, I can't say. I am now about to stab you with this here repulsive knife, can I? Ah, uh, well, that's the trouble with writers. No imagination. You see now. Well, I could say drop the knife again. No, no. Let me think. Shut up. Sorry. Oh, I got it. Oh, look. Why do sound effects guys have to go on vacations? Is there a knife out there someplace? I don't know. I'll look over here. See. Ah, here's one. Well, what kind is it? Pocket knife. I think I'll just drop it in my pocket, too. I've been wanting a knife like this. Well, let's see it. Uh, 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 I got ten dibs on it. Well, now, look. You hold it up close to the microphone and open it. Make it click. And I'll go to the control room and listen. Very well, Orson. It'll probably sound like a door opening. So what? It's more than the door opening gag we got, sounds like. All right, uh, let's hear it now. Open it up. No, not so loud. Try it again. Okay, now, uh, Fritz, uh, you put that effect in just as you start to struggle. Give me it. Ah, uh, what? No, no, help, help, that business? Yes, yes. No, no, no! Oh, oh! You would not listen to me. No. Oh. Stop him! Stop him! Oh, oh, yeah, okay. You uh, better fall down on the floor, Ed. It'll sound better. Why is it I always have to do the falls? Go on, go on. Ah, nuts. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, how are we going to ring that gong? Oh, I don't see why we can't get some help on this show. Why don't you get Horace? Well, that's an idea. I'll go get him. Oh, gosh, I'm tired. I was here at nine this morning for an audition, and I haven't even had time to get me dinner. 
actors, the idol, Rich. Says you. Say, who do you suppose sent that dilly old bird up here? <laughs> I don't know. A lot of funny jokers around this shop. That was a good gag for this show, I guess. Except I don't suppose it'll be so funny for the old gent when he finds out it was a gag. Yeah, I don't imagine it's a very good racket running around peddling coffins. I never even knew they peddled coffins that way. Neither did I. I was reading. The genius. You'll have yeah. time to catch up on your reading after the show's over. I want you to sock that gong. All you got to do is take the little club and clout the gong when George points at you, Horace. If George points at you, Horace. Listen, who's producing this show? I sometimes wonder. Uh, where's the stick to hit it with? You are practically standing on it. Huh? Oh. All right, now. Now, look. I'll go in the control room, and you guys go on into the fight. Now, you watch me, Horace, and when I point, you sock that gong. Okay. Oh, George, listen. Do we have to go through the whole thing again, my throat? No, no, no. Just the struggle part. Now, wait till I get in. Hit it a good bat, Horace. Okay. Okay. Struggle. Well, pay attention, dummy. Will you hit that gong? Oh, oh. Excuse me, I was watching Ed and Fritz. Well, look, you watch me from now on. I'll give you the cues, and you do them. You got it? Okay. Go ahead, struggle. Stay in little Jake tomorrow. All right. Yeah. Well, you can have it. Okay, George, I'm back. Well, look, uh, come on, will you? Come on. Hey, you know who that was? Sure, somebody wanting to know what time Fred Waring's on. No, no, it wasn't. Come on, will you can the guessing games? Let's go. It was the old coffin guy. He wanted to know if Mr. Henley wanted a silver or a bronze plate on his coffin. What'd you tell him? Silver, I said. Nothing cheap about Mr. Henley, I said. <laughs> Listen, you oughtn't to kid the old guy like that. He's just a poor, harmless old bird. Besides, the first thing you know, somebody will be knocking at my door, delivering a coffin and collecting money for it. Trying to collect, you mean? Now, listen, you lugs. If you want to play comedy, you put the bite on Don McNeil, will you? You're wasting your time over on this side. Now, uh, let's go to work. Now, if that old guy calls up again, you tell him to go jump in the lake. Now, come on, look at page 10. We won't have time to take a dress. Top of the page. I want uh, running footsteps, all three of you. Cross the studio floor, up the stair steps. You stop and run back down. You got it? On my cue. Okay, hurry up now. Now, uh, take the knock on the door and the footsteps coming in. It's bottom of page 11. Uh, you do the knock, Ed. Horace, you open the door. And Fritz, you do the footsteps. You got it? On my cue.
evil is let loose on a sleeping world. Want to hear about it? Then turn out your lights. Good evening, my dear friend. Good evening, Doctor. Won't you come in? Thank you. Here, let me take your coat and hat. Oh, certainly. There you are, Doctor. Ah, won't you come in and sit down? Thank you. Well? It's all taken care of. Really? Quite. You have the proof? Well... Of course, you realize, my dear friend, I cannot be expected to carry out our little arrangement unless I have proof. Yes, I was reasonably sure of that. And so? There is a hat crumpled in the left-hand pocket of my overcoat. A hat? His hat. I think you'll find that it has a bullet hole through the crown and uh, there are several bloodstains. Oh, fine. Uh, you don't mind if I look for myself? Oh, of course not. That's why I brought it, you see. Yes, yes, yes. Ah, apparently, a very neat job. I specialize in neat jobs, Doctor. <laughs> Do you mind telling me how it was done? Not at all. I waited for him in the driveway of his house. Cold, too, tonight. Huh. He left his car at the gate and walked up to the house. Huh. Uh, we had planned on that, you remember? Yes, 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 yes. And when he came close enough, I... I shot him. Oh. So noisy. There was a silencer on the revolver. Ah. Uh, thoughtful of you. I'm always thoughtful, Doctor. <laughs> Excellent. I even stepped close enough to him to ensure powder burn. Better and better. And the revolver is there without the silencer to... to make it look like suicide. So. I congratulate you, my dear friend. Thank you. I am... Conscientious? Are you conscientious enough to remember what I asked you to bring? Yes, quite. May I have it? I think not. What you say? I came here tonight merely to thank you, Doctor, for your cooperation. I find myself a richer man. I hope you are joking, my friend. Not at all. You don't want to give up the packet of jewels? I couldn't have put it more neatly myself, Doctor. Oh, oh. I see. You have not forgotten that I paid you a sum of money to perform this service for me? Five hundred dollars. That is correct. That is why I came here. I'm afraid I don't understand. To return the five hundred dollars. You see, Doctor, I have decided to keep the jewels instead. I see. <laughs> Would you care for a drink? Uh, brandy, perhaps. If you like. Water? No, uh, thank you, no. Uh -huh. Your health. If you don't mind, Doctor, let us exchange glasses. <laughs> You are a remarkably suspicious man. I have to be. If you please. Oh, quite. <laughs> hmm. 
I thought so, Doctor. Well, you're good health. And now I'll be going, if you don't mind. Oh, must you go, really? Yes. Uh, here are your $500. My offer is still good. Your offer? $500 for eliminating this man and bringing me the jewels from his pocket. Oh. I'm sorry not to be able to accept your offer, Doctor. I've made other arrangements, you see. May I point out that you left your revolver at our friend's side? May I point out that it is extremely possible that I have another? Possible? Probable. Hmm. Shall we have another drink? May I pour? <laughs> if you like. Shall we discuss this further? I'm afraid there is very little to discuss, Doctor. If you do not mind, no, I would... No, there is nothing to discuss. I am grateful to you, my dear Doctor, for putting me in the way of earning the very comfortable sum that these jewels will bring. I am equally grateful to you for your hospitality. But I really must go. Oh, I beg of you. Let me point out that a gentleman of your reputation might have some difficulty in disposing of the jewels... There are ways. Would it not be a great deal safer for you to take the $500 with no further risk than to keep the jewels and run the risk of hanging? I'll take the risk. Besides, if anything unpleasant does happen to me in the course of disposing of the jewels, I can always remind my captors of the part that you played in this little affair. You see? I'm afraid you'll have a very difficult time proving that. Mm, perhaps. But I'll run the risk. Good night, Don't hurry, I beg of you. I should dislike to have any unpleasant happening. You forget that I have a revolver, Doctor. That is a lie. I wouldn't take a chance if I were you, Doctor. I'm not taking a chance. I know you have no revolver. Really? Really. Interesting. How? A very simple process of deduction. There is none in your overcoat. I could tell by the weight of it. Huh? But there is. Ah, thank you. I was rather certain that it was there. You... And so I took the liberty of locking your overcoat in the closet when I got up to inspect our friend's hats. Checkmate, my dear friend. Stalemate, I think. I still have the jewels. And I warn you for the last time to give them to me. I'm sorry. It would be a great deal better for you if you would, you know. What will you do if I won't? Something very unpleasant, my dear friend. For example? It is quite possible I will kill you. You amaze me. I assure you I am quite serious. Impossible. It's not impossible at all. May I ask just how you propose to uh, end my life, shall I say? I shall cut your throats. Neatly, and as the books have it. With dispatch. You've been reading books, then. Tell me, you're wasting time. What's the answer? The answer is the same as it has always been. You refuse, then? I refuse, yes. Very well. You forced me to become a murderer. You know the penalty for murder in this country, Doctor. <laughs> Put down that knife. You have had your last chance. <laughs> no. No, don't kill me. I want you. I want you. No, no. You would not don't. Help. Ed. Ed. You. Ed. You stabbed me, Fritz. 
in Studio B, the second in the summer revival series of Lights Out. In tonight's cast, you heard Bob Murphy as Ed, Sherman Marks as Fritz, Don Gallagher as George, Jack Bivens as Horace, and Charles Eggleston as the coffin salesman. All right. You can turn them on now. is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Stay tuned for the Jack Benny Show next on Theater of the Mind. You're just in time to go back in time with Jack Benny and the program all about Alexander Graham Bell. J-E-L-L-O! The Jell-O program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Kenny Baker, and yours truly, Don Wilson. The orchestra opens a program with You've Got Everything. Do you remember this popular song called You've Got Everything? Well, you know, that song might well have been dedicated to Jell-O, for really there is one dessert that does have everything. Color, bright, sunshiny, and gay. Flavor, extra rich, cool, and refreshing, as tempting as the real ripe fruit. Ease and speed, for Jell-O dissolves instantly and sets quickly. Economy, Jell-O costs only a few cents a package, and one package serves the average family generously. And variety. For Jell-O offers you dozens and dozens of delicious new dishes. Serve it plain in a colorful mold of beauty. Garnish it with whipped cream or any seasonal fruits. Use it for salads, for Jell-O makes swell salads that even the men folks go for. Yes, sir, one box of Jell-O is filled with real kitchen magic, the kind that every busy woman appreciates. So ask your grocer tomorrow for Jell-O. Look for those big red letters on the box. They spell Jell-O, and Jell-O spells a treat. You've got everything played by the orchestra. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you Hollywood's newest glamour boy, Jack Benny. Thank you. Hello again. This is Jack Benny talking. And, Don, I appreciate your calling me a glamour boy, but really, that's not quite my classification. Oh, it isn't? No, Don. According to the latest publicity from Paramount, I'm the oomph man. <laughs> oomph. 
Yep. A young man. Yeah, you see, Don, a glamour boy is merely good-looking. But when a star has, in addition to that, a certain charm and appeal to women, then he becomes an oomph man, which is me. You better stay out of the hot sun, brother. <laughs> Oh, you're here already. Listen, Phil, I'm not a fortune teller and I'm not psychic, but I see you soon scattering your brilliant remarks in greener pastures. And hello. <laughs> you know, Don, ever since we switched the ending of the picture, uh, Man About Town, and I married Dorothy L'Amour, Phil has been a wreck. So jealous because I'm a ladies' man. Me jealous? Why, every girl you go out with regards you as a big brother. Well, that's part of my technique. I sneak up on them. <laughs> So don't be so sour grapesy. Oh, uh, by the way, Jack, last week you had an argument with the studio about Rochester. Are you going to let him be in the picture? Rochester? Oh, he's in it already, Don. And am I having trouble with him at the house? The airs he's been putting on. Oh, getting ritzy, huh? Ritzy? He bought a sport coat yesterday with three belts in the back. <laughs> Not only that, it's getting so he won't wear anything but silk underwear. Well, it's all right for him to wear silk underwear, isn't it? Not when the monogram says J.D. <laughs> no, sir. Jack, I can't understand why you keep Rochester when he causes you so much trouble. Why don't you fire him? Oh, I can't. You see, he found the treasure map of my backyard and won't give it back. <laughs> but I'll get him in time. Hello, Jack. Oh, hello, Mary. Say, Mary, have you heard the latest? They changed the ending of the picture, and instead of Phil getting Dorothy L'Amour... I'm the one that marries her. Yes, I know. She's sick about it. <laughs> She's nothing of the kind. You're just making that up because Dorothy happens to be very fond of me. In fact, the other day she gave me an autograph sarong. <laughs> How do you look in it? Gorgeous. <laughs> Are you surprised? Oh, Mary, Jack's got a new one. He says that everybody at Paramount's calling him the oomph man. Yeah, but did Jack tell you how he got the title? Quiet. The director punched him in the stomach and he went oomph. <laughs> That's not the reason at all. They call me the oomph man because in this picture I'm virile and rugged. Oh, yeah? <laughs> tell him what happened when you shot the wedding scene yesterday afternoon. Oh, well, that was just a novelty, that's all. Something different. What was it, Mary? Yeah, tell him. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> after Jack marries Dorothy, he's supposed to pick her up in his arms and carry her across the threshold. Mary. Well, Jack tried and tried, but he couldn't lift her. <laughs> and what happened? <laughs> she carried him across. <laughs> Mary, I told you it was just a novelty, something original. Well, say, Jack, did you feel kind of silly being carried in a girl's arms? Well, I didn't mind being in her arms, Don, but when she started to rock me, I thought that was going to... <laughs> anyway, let's drop the whole thing because we've got an important sketch to do tonight. Where's Kenny? Hey, Kenny. Kenny. What? It's time for your song. Well, wait till I get through. The drummer's teaching me how to play poker. Well, tell him to give you your shirt back and come over here. Okay. Phil, I wish you'd tell your boys not to take advantage of Kenny. He's too young to gamble. Oh, yeah? I got over a thousand marbles hid under my mattress. I don't care what you've got. I don't want you learning how to play cards. Hmm, I got a fine chance to grow up around here. Never mind, I don't want any more gambling. Now go ahead, young man, and sing your song. I will not. You will, too. I tell you what, I'll match you two songs or nothing. <laughs> Kenny, sing your song and not another word out of you. Hold it a minute, there's the phone. I'll bet five bucks it's for me. Quiet. Hello? 
Yes? Oh, he's right here, Mrs. Wilson. It's for you, Don. It's your wife. Oh, thanks. Hello, dear. Yes, I know we're having company for dinner. Oh, that's up to you, dear. Any flavor will do. Hmm. <laughs> well, strawberry or raspberry would be swell. Don, we've got a long play today. We haven't had cherry in a long time. What about orange, darling? Uh, Don, we've got a long play. Oh, I know. Let's have lemon. Don't forget lime. You might as well get them all in. <laughs> well, look, sweetheart, it's all up to you if you want a real tempting and economical dessert. Give me that phone. Hello, Mrs. Wilson. Look for the big red letters on the box and hang up. We've got a play to do. Sing, Kenny. That was a frame-up if I ever heard one. <laughs> When the somber shadows of the night grow dim And the daylight dawns on the hillock's brim In the black of the night by the light of the moon On the top of the day when the clock is at noon No matter what the hour, I'm a slave In the grip of your power Melancholy mood Forever haunts me, steals upon me in the night Forever taunts me, oh what a lonely soul am I Stranded high and dry by melancholy mood Gone is every joy and inspiration Tears are all I have to show No consolation, all I can see is grief and gloom Till the crack of doom, oh, melancholy moon. Deep in the night I search for a trace of a lingering kiss, a warm embrace. But love is a whimsy, as flimsy as lace, and my arms embrace an empty space. Melancholy moon. Why must you blind me, pity me, and break the chains? The chains that bind me, won't you release and set me free? Bring her back to me, oh, melancholy moon. Deep in the night, I search for a trace of a lingering kiss. A warm embrace, but love is a whimsy, as flimsy as lace, and my arms embrace an empty space. Why must you blind me, pity me, and break the chains? The chains that bind me, won't you release and set me free? Bring her back to me, oh, melancholy moon. Very good. That was Melancholy Mood, sung by Kenny Baker. And Kenny, that was a swell song, a natural for you. I threw a seven, huh? Kenny. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great treat in store for you. Last week, the Benny Gypsies gave you their interpretation of Gunga Dean, which took place in faraway India. 
And tonight, to show you that we get around, uh, we take you to Boston, Massachusetts, and present our version of Daryl F. Zanuck's outstanding 20th Century Fox production, that grand tribute to a great man and famous scientist, Alexander Graham Bell. <laughs> Hmm. Thank you. Can I go home now, Mr. Benny? I'm all in. <laughs> uh, not yet, Jojo. <laughs> now, as you all know, uh, Don Amici portrayed the famous inventor in the picture. So in our version, I will naturally play the title role. May I ask why? Certainly. Now, this picture also featured... I said, why should you be Alexander Graham Bell? Well, for one thing, Phil, the part fits me. I used to be an inventor myself. Wasn't I, Mary? Oh, Jack, you weren't the first one to think of putting a mouse trap in a wallet. <laughs> I don't mean that. Years ago, when I was in the Navy, I invented a chin rest for portholes. <laughs> they went over very big. Now, getting back to our play, Mary, you will be my wife, as portrayed on the screen by that sweet, gorgeous, beautiful, and talented young actress, lovely Loretta Young. Well, if you think she's so good, why didn't you get her? Don't think I didn't try. <laughs> We're quite good friends, you know, but she had a previous <laughs> engagement. Listen, Dreamer, you're not even acquainted with Loretta Young. I'm not, eh? It might interest you to know, Phil, that I've got Loretta's address right in my little book. What book? Guide to the Movie Stars Home. <laughs> I mean my little red book. Now, Kenny... Yes, Jack? Uh, Kenny, when the play opens... I'm a poor, struggling inventor, and you're a wealthy businessman who finances my experiments. Uh, do you think you can handle it? I'll lay you three to one, I can. Now, Kenny. <laughs> for the last time, I don't want to hear another word about gambling. You're too young. Anyway, you're going to be my backer. And as I was saying, Mary, you're going to be my patient, loyal wife. We've had a hard struggle. I'm trying to invent the telephone, and everybody thinks I'm a madman. They think I'm eccentric. They think I'm crazy. But you... My little wife. What do you think? What do you think? <laughs> Mary, will you please get in the mood for Pete's sake? <laughs> huh? Now, the, uh, the locale... Say, Alexander, am I going to be in this? Yes, Phil, you're going to be my assistant who helps me invent the telephone. But, Jack, I'm a musician, not a mechanic. Listen, Phil, I'd rather have you tinker with my toaster than tamper with Tannhauser. <laughs> Any day. Now, our dramatic offering will go on immediately after a number by... Oh, come in. Hello, Mr. Benny. Hello, Rochester. What do you want? Say, boss, are you in a pleasant frame of mind this evening, or are you cloaked in bloom? <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling very good, Rochester. Why? Well, I got some news that may turn your damper down. What? What are you talking about? Boss, remember when you and I were driving down to the studio in your car tonight? Yes. And when the motor kept stalling, you got mad and said... You wish somebody would steal this thing? Yes. Well, hallelujah, you're a pedestrian. <laughs> a pedestrian? That's from the Latin. I know where it's from. <laughs> you mean to say somebody stole my car? Well, all I know is I parked the car in front of the studio and went across the street to buy a cigar. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh-huh. And when I got back, there was nothing there but the anchor. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Now, who... Who would want to steal my car? Somebody that goes... Don't be funny. My car's been stolen, and it's nothing to clown about. Tell me, Jack, did you have any insurance on it? Only tornado. <laughs> Ding the luck. Rochester, this is all your fault. I'm sorry, boss. Well, it's too late now to be sorry. Now, I want you to go right down to the police station and report the loss. Hurry up. I ain't going near that police station. Why not? I'm behind in my alimony. <laughs> alimony? Why, Rochester, I didn't know you'd been married. Oh, boss, repeatedly. <laughs> Well, that's your business. Now get going. Okay, goodbye. So long. Oh, say, Rochester, I see you're playing a part in our picture. Yeah, that's right. How you coming along? Mr. Harris, I'm in the groove on the beam and dog victory. So long. Hmm. He's the biggest ham I ever saw. Uh, the biggest, Jack? Yes, the biggest. And I'm going to get out that car back if I have to offer a reward. Play, Phil. Now, where would I go if I were a Maxwell? <laughs> a bug in the rug whenever you hold me tight cozy and warm on the chilliest night just as snug as a bug in a rug whenever I feel your kiss talk about home home is never like this first your arms come stealing and my heart goes on the roller coaster then I get that feeling like a little piece of toast in a toaster gee but my life would be cold Without your delicious hug, keeping me snug as a bug in a rug. Wow. That, uh, that was Snug as a Bug in a Rug, played by a mug in his lungs. <laughs> How was that, Phil? Thanks for the plug, slug. Hmm. Going from that neat bit of comedy to our dramatic highlight of the season, we are now going to offer our contribution to the annals of scientific progress, that epic of American ingenuity, Alexander Graham Bell. Wait for me. <laughs> now, 
Now, the locale of our play is Boston, Massachusetts, in the year 1870. The scene is the little attic laboratory where we find Professor Bell and his assistant, Mr. Harris, working feverishly on their great invention, the telephone. Mrs. Bell has just entered the room. Curtain. Music. I'll take it. Hello? Alexander Graham Bell's residence. What? No, you can't talk to him. He's busy inventing the telephone. Goodbye. I'll say I am. Oh, Mr. Harris. Mr. Harris. Yes, Professor Bell. I think I've got something here. Hand me that duplex circuit repeater and the multiple induction coil. I'll attach them to the supervisory electromagnetic oscillator. You're kidding. <laughs> I am not. Now, give me a hand. Give me a hand with this quadruplex frictional deflector. Okay, here's the metallic cylindrical felicitator. What's that? The screwdriver. Oh, trying to top me, eh? Wait a minute. I'll use this little hammer. There, that's coming along all right. Say, Alex, I wish you'd hurry up and invent this telephone. A blonde gave me your number this morning, and I want to call her up. Has she got a friend? Oh, and she's gorgeous. <laughs> oh, what am I rushing for? I'm married. I'm so absent-minded. But I'll tell you one thing, Harris. We gotta work fast if we expect any more help from our financial baker, Mr. Backer. I mean, our financial backer, Mr. Baker. Now, help me with this vacuum generator. Oh, darling, you look tired. You're working too hard, Alex. Much too hard. I am? Yeah, look at those bags under Harris's eyes. <laughs> oh, well, he got those on his own time. But, darling, I must work hard. I know it's a mad dream. I know it sounds impossible. But I'm going to invent the telephone, or my name ain't Alexander Graham Bell. Come on, Harris. Let's get to work. Come in. Well, what's this? This is the... <laughs> this is the laboratory. Oh, pardon me. <laughs> Darn these interruptions. Harris. Mr. Harris. Mr. Harris, hand me that enunciator, Magneto. Here you are. Hello? Oh, hello, Barbara. Now, hand me that vibrator. Okay, Alex. Did you have a good time last night? Who was there? Oh, it still won't regenerate. They were? Hand me some more of that copper wire. Here you are, Professor. Well, look, Barbara, we'd love to come over, but Alex is still working on that invention of his. How's it coming, Professor? I'm afraid it won't work, Harris. I'm afraid it's a failure. Oh, it's some gadget he calls a telephone, but it'll never be a success. I got another idea, Harris. Hand me that rheostat. All right, Barbara, I'll call you later. Goodbye. I don't know, Harris. The more I work on this, the tougher it seems to get. Sometimes I get so discouraged. Don't give up, Prof. I won't. Come in. Well, hello, Mr. Baker. Hello, Alex. How's everything coming along? I'm making great progress, Mr. Baker. Great progress. You see, it's my theory that if I could make a current of electricity vary in intensity, precisely as the air varies in density during the production of multiple sounds, I should be able to transmit speech electromagnetically. Oh, you can talk plainer, Nat. <laughs> Hmm. But unfortunately, Mr. Baker, my financial resources are depleted. 
And before I can continue with my experiment, I must have additional monetary aid. You mean more cash <laughs> That's a bullseye if I ever heard one. Well, how much do you want? Four million dollars. Yes! <laughs> Oh, I know. I know that sounds like a lot. But you've already given me $32. What's $4 million? What do you say? Why don't you gamble with me? You said I was too young. That was in the first routine. <laughs> oh, Mr. Baker, if I don't get the money from you, where else can I get it? You mean I'm the only sucker in the world? Yes. All right, then, Alex. I'll give it to you. Hooray! Did you hear that, darling? Did you hear that, Harris? He's going to give us $4 million. Here you are, Professor. $1, $2, Two years later. $1,993. $1,994. $1,994. $1,994. $1,994. $1,994. Four years later. Three million nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-eight dollars. Yes? Three million nine hundred and ninety-nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine dollars. Yes, yes. And forty cents. I don't think I can make it. <laughs> well, that's close enough. Thanks. Well, I gotta go now. Goodbye. Oh, wait a minute, Mr. Baker. Where can I reach you in case I need you again? In the poorhouse. So long. <laughs> Oh, boy, four million dollars. I wonder how he could carry so much money in his pockets. He's got two pair of pants. Oh. Well, Harris, we've got the money. You know what that means? You know what all this money means to us? Yes, I can tie a can to my orchestra. Yes, thank heaven. <laughs> and it also means that I can finish my work, complete my invention. The telephone must and will be perfected. Let's go. <laughs> And on March 10th, 1876, in a public auditorium in Boston, Massachusetts, the first telephone, a crude instrument, stands on the desk before Professor Bell. For the first time in history, he is about to transmit the human voice. Quiet, gentlemen, please. I got a chance. Now, gentlemen, all I ask of you is to have patience. You are about to witness the most amazing demonstration of our time. Gentlemen, please. Bring it on. What are you stalling for? Yippee! Young man, I'm introducing a telephone, not a fan dancer. <laughs> now, gentlemen, in just a moment, I will transmit my voice by wire to Professor Homer J. Osgood, who is waiting on the other end of this line in Baltimore, 500 miles away. Oh, 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 silence, please. All right, gentlemen, the experiment begins. Mr. Harris, lift the receiver. Yes, Professor. <laughs> hello. Hello, Baltimore. Baltimore, hello. Hmm. Hello, Baltimore. Hello, Baltimore. This will work. This must work. Hello, Baltimore. Baltimore, hello. Did you put a nickel in? Quiet. Gentlemen, please. Please give me a chance. Hello. Hello, Baltimore. Baltimore, hello. Boston Meat Market, your order, please. Get off the line. I want Baltimore. Don't worry, gentlemen. I'll get it. Hello. Hello, Baltimore. Hello. Hello. Jello. I said hello. And I said jello. Hang up. I want Baltimore. Don't get disgusted, gentlemen. This will work. This must work. Hello. Hello, Baltimore. Baltimore, hello. Baltimore, hello. 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 Hello, stranger. At last. <laughs> 
finished that last. Professor Osgood, can you hear me? What? I said, can you hear me? Am I coming over? Don't come over this week. We got relatives. I mean, am I coming over the wire? Can you hear my voice? What? My voice, my voice. Oh, my boy's fine. He's in college. No, 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 not your voice, my voice. Sound, sound. That's what I said. My son's in college. Look, Professor Odgood, this is Alexander Graham Bell talking. This is important. This is for the advancement of science. Now, if you can hear me, repeat this sentence. I hear you clearly. Have you got that? I hear you clearly. I love you dearly. Hooray! There you are, gentlemen. The telephone is a success. Ah, oh, what a triumph. What a dramatic situation. What a picture this would make. I'll buy it. Thank you, Mr. Zanuck. Play, Phil. <laughs> This is the last number of the 35th program in the new Jell-O series, and we will be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Now, come on with me, Mary. I'm going over to the police station to get a squad of men to go out and look for my car. J. Edgar Hoover's in town. Why don't you get him, too? He's just the man I need. Good night, folks. Kenny Baker appears on the Jell-O program for courtesy of Mervyn Leroy Productions. Snug as a Bug is from the film The Gracie Allen Murder Case. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Inner Sanctum, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.